everyone to Life Between the Notes, where we are going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central PA musicians. I'm Kirsten Myers, and my co-host Morgan Davis is joining me today, maybe with her coffee? Do you have no coffee? No coffee. Today? I've had a whole thermos of coffee today, so water. <laughs> we're on to hydration. <laughs> me too. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We're on the same wavelength about that. <laughs> It is afternoon, so I do yeah. have to clarify that. If this were a 10 a.m. Always, always time for coffee. Right. <laughs> so um, it is a, a coffee kind of day, but um, we are so excited and grateful to have Jen Shaner joining us today. So hello, Jen. Do you have coffee? I, I don't, and now I really wish I did because <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> but do you have water? I No, I really was unprepared for this, but... <laughs> No, I, I, I'm so grateful for having me. I, I had no idea it was a thing, but I, now I know. So if I ever get to do this again, I'll, I'll definitely have it with me. Yes. Yeah, Morgan and I usually either have coffee or a cat running around. So there's a cat here somewhere, but no, I don't know where he is right now. Yeah. Cat, so. <laughs> okay, so. Um, but before we get started, I do want to mention Keystone Music Repair, who is sponsoring our show today. Um, Keystone Music Repair is an independent woodwind and brass repair shop in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, catering to the needs of student, amateur, and professional musicians throughout southeastern Pennsylvania and beyond. All work is done by owner and technician John Kirkner, who's been repairing instruments professionally for over a decade and has specialized knowledge in repairing double reeds. All repairs carry a guarantee that you'll be happy with the work or it will be corrected at no charge. Estimates are free and all work is done by appointment with flexible scheduling to minimize your time without your instrument. Visit keystonemusicrepair.com to see more information, to get in touch and schedule an appointment and new this year to see a calendar of all the performances from over 40 community bands in southeastern Pennsylvania. Keystone Music Repair is happy to support Life Between the Notes. So thank you, John. Um, um, so that you know a little bit more about Jen and her background, I'm going to read a little bit about her. Actually, it's a lot of bit, but... <laughs> But here we go. Um, Jen Shaner is the executive director of the Upper Darby Arts and Education Foundation in the greater Philadelphia area at udfoundation.org. She recently retired as director of bands in the Eastern Lancaster County School District. Um, she's chairperson of the Brad Shaner Memorial Music Fund, founder of the Shaner Music Man Academy, and president of Shaner Custom Music. Ms. Shaner presently serves on the board of Settlement Music School's Cardon Northeast branch. She has worked in the Alanco School District for 30 years and takes pride in the fact that the Eastern Lancaster County Band Program is the largest and oldest in Lancaster County. Most recently, in facing the crisis of COVID-19, Ms. Shaner and her Music Man Academy staff created Camp Virtual Virtuoso 2020, a four-week online music camp that incorporated all seven of the in-person programs of the Academy, as well as new offerings in digital music production in response to the challenges of virtual music performance. In November 2019, Ms. Shaner hosted the PMEA District 7 Youth Honors Band Fest with her colleague, Mr. Jock Heckman. 
Ms. Shainer has coordinated the Shainer 5K and Festival of Upper Darby Arts for the past 11 years, raising thousands of dollars to support Upper Darby children and their artistic endeavors. Recently, she partnered the UDAEF with the Upper Darby Lansdowne Rotary and increased the efforts of student volunteers in the community through her work with the Upper Darby Arts and Education Foundation Service Club. In, two, in July 2018, she was excited to partner the Shaner Fund with System Blue and the Drum Corps International 2017 World Champion Blue Devils to bring the best of the marching arts to Upper Darby at no cost to Upper Darby students. In 2021, she partnered with the Royal Butterfly Special Needs Fund and created the Music Man Butterfly Buddy Camp for Upper Darby Special Needs students. The Shainer Music, Camp, Music Man Camp is featured in a documentary video on the website of national print music distributor J.W. Pepper at jwpepper.com. Ms. Shainer's national publications include Focus on Advocacy, How Save Upper Darby Arts, Gave Voice to a Pennsylvania Community's Passion for the Arts, and the Auclef podcast interview, Connecting Communities Through Music Education. Ms. Shainer's passion for the Upper Darby School District has led her to Harrisburg several times to advocate for educational funding and to present how school district foundations can support the arts. Ms. Shainer also created the Garnspot High School Band Booster Program as high school band director and founded the Bayard Rustin High School Band Booster Program in the Westchester Area School District as Band Booster President in 2004. She has hosted and conducted numerous PMEA Youth Band Fests. She has been a clinician for the PMEA District 7 in services and webinars with her session on elementary band recruitment, motivate, educate, infiltrate. She continues to internationally publish the incredible band arrangements of her late husband, Brad Shainer, with their company, Shainer Custom Music, keeping over 50 of Brad's arrangements in the hands of kids and their band directors. Jen has received her fundraising certification from Villanova University, her certification in educational leadership K through 12 from Immaculata University, Master of Arts in Education from Gratz College, and Bachelor of Science in Music Education from Millersville University. She also served as Vice President of the Eastern Lancaster County Education Association. She resides in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and is very proud of her daughter, USMC Staff Sergeant Lauren Shainer. Lauren is formerly a member of the Commandant's Own Drum and Bugle Corps and 2015 female champion of the HITT Ultimate Tactical Athlete Competition. Ms. Shainer is also thrilled that her son Bradford is a music educator at the William Penn Charter School and is percussion captain head for Jersey Surf World Class Drum Corps. So now I need my coffee. <laughs> I really need to shorten that. That that I need to shorten that. Yes. No, but that. But that's what happens when you've done so much, and you're. I mean, my gosh, you're so accomplished, oh and goodness. it's incredible. Well, um, everything that you've done, which is you know partially why you're here, and we're talking to you today. Um, to talk about about all this great stuff that you've done. So. Well, I'm, I'm excited, although as part of it is I just, I don't, I can't say no. I'm very bad at saying no. So it's, <laughs> I, so, so this isn't therapy. And <laughs> the rest take it so long, you know, because it's like, you just keep doing things. Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Well, that's, and I told myself that when I did this podcast that I would not use it as therapy, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> but um, so to all of that, um, I just wanted to add that. So I have known Jen personally since I was 16 years old. Um, so it's been 32 years actually. Um, so we, we met at uh, New Holland Band. I think that was the first. Yeah. And, um, and then later she was um, a student teacher at um, Garden Spot High School when I was a senior, I believe it was. Believe it or not, I think that was my first year of teaching. Or was that your first? See, I that was my was first year. Teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, wow. I was, yeah, okay. I did my student teaching at Octorera with Jerry Friday. Student, oh. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So okay. you were my first senior class. Wow. You you broke me in your class. So sorry. <laughs> I will never forget anybody in that class. I love that class so much. Yeah, they were great. They were amazing. Well, it was fun to have you for sure. <laughs> um, but I, you were someone to admire then, and I would say even more so now. Um, I mean, I, I admire you for all of the heart and dare I say tenacity um, that you put into everything that you do. Um, <laughs> But really, like whether it's like teaching students or, you know, supporting the Shaner Fund, um, raising kids or helping a friend, like I'm just in awe of how much you've accomplished um, and what you continue to do. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to be with us today, because I know your schedule is packed. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I don't know whether it's tenacity or insanity. I just I don't I don't give up easily. I, you know, I but, but it's usually it's it's the goal is always the kids and the goal is always to bring more music to the kids that's that's yeah. the main thing right and i guess the reason is i just you know there are, there's always somebody that comes to me with an opportunity that i never thought you know that i would go in that direction mm -hmm. and i just learned to just just try it and see where it leads and then that's that's kind of where a lot of these things came from is just mm -hmm. talking to different people and i never had had an idea that it would actually turn out into you know a project or a camp or yeah. or a fundraiser you know right but that's that's the fun part yeah <laughs> and that also comes from not saying no i guess well that there's that too yeah <laughs> yes. but uh so so we do have a lot to unpack here um mm -hmm. but but first actually since i am with two flutists right now here's my question is it flutist or is it flautist? And and is there a right or a wrong? <laughs> what what it discuss? So so the, the German in me has to say like I like the flautist, you know. And it, to me, it, all, it also sounded like a little more higher level. I thought you know when I was growing up, I always wanted to be called a flautist, you know. <laughs> but I'm also Pennsylvania Dutch German, you know. So that was kind of my background. But I don't know, flautist is more American. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Morgan, is there? I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but I always, <laughs> people ask me that. I always say that. I don't say flautist because I'm not British. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I always yeah. say flutist. Like you said, it's like a more American. If I was British, maybe I'd feel like I could pull off saying I was a flautist. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm always just stuck with flutist. I always think there's a Nancy Toff book about the history of the flute, and she says, something to the effect of there's like a quote in the book about how we don't play the flout, we play the flute. <laughs> and, that and there's that. Me laugh. I think it just depends on your, you know, language background. I think right. we both work. 
Okay. Absolutely. All right. So it's so it's whatever you want. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, within reason, you know, like we don't have to get mean. <laughs> no. Well, I don't. No, I don't mean to be mean. But <laughs> stick to stick to flutist or flautist. If we get so far outside of that, then maybe maybe it's not yes. up for grabs. <laughs> we, we could combine it and make it fluoutist. I don't know. Oh. That sounds terrible. Okay, sorry. All right. I got to think about that one. <laughs> so, okay. So, Jen, um, so where did you grow up? Did You grew up in Lancaster County. Is that correct? I grew up, yep, in Millersville. Went to Penn Manor High School. Um, went to Millersville University. Um, turns out Jack Delangelo, the Woodwinds professor at Millersville, he was two doors up from me. I grew up with him as my neighbor. Um, and so I knew, I knew his kids, they were older than me, but I, you know, they were part of the neighborhood gang that we hung out with. And, you know, I had professors basically like all around my neighborhood. Um, my best friend's dad was a biology professor and he used to take me on family trips and, you know, I kind of was adopted by Millersville university before I even went to Millersville university. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And I, I started, it was a natural transition then once you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I it was it was very easy. And my my flute teacher, Joel Barons, I started studying with him, I think, when I was in seventh grade. Um, partially wow. with Jack Colangelo's help in finding him. Um, and then I just stayed with him and right on through college. He got me interested in the New Holland band. Um, and then I would I would drive from Lancaster to New Holland, which then was a long trip. And I look at how long I drive now and I'm like, that really wasn't that long. But, you know, for me as a kid, it's like, oh, my gosh, we have to drive all the way out from Millersville to New Holland. Like it was, you know, a big thing. Um, but, yeah, that's I loved it because I mean, I met I met kids that were my age that were playing in the New Holland band. And we were all apprentices and we were playing with all these band directors from all around the county. And it was amazing music. And you had, you know, you, you had these these goals every week like oh my gosh like well she just played that passage really well can I come up with that by next week can I do it you know yeah. it, was, it was a really good way to stretch yourself as as a young musician mm-hmm. yeah and so did you you started the flute in fourth grade I did I started piano first that was in like second grade and okay. then and actually that was with Dottie Beam also from Millersville University because she lived down the street around the corner and I could walk there and then my mom played piano, um, but I decided I wanted to do something different than my mom. So I picked drums actually. And then my dad was an artist and he said, no way, are you playing drums? So because <laughs> he likes his studio quiet so he can draw in peace, you know? So yeah, so then I was like, fine, I'll pick flute because it's easy to carry. And that was where that came from basically. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you were kind of interested in everything, like from the beginning. Yes. It like. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I love music. I just, you know, wanted to be able to try different instruments. And that's why I love my job because every half hour I get to pick up a different one. That's, yeah. that's what I love doing. Yeah. yeah. Now, that, that's, okay. the, that's the okay. thing that, that actually pushed me out of my, my ed degree was that I realized I didn't like playing all of the, I didn't want to have to, I was like, this is too much. I just want to play the flute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not right. fun. Um, and it was like 
all of my friends who I think are really wonderful music educators in the schools now, they love that part of, of our, you know, of being in school, of learning to play everything and teach everything. And I, from the beginning, I was like, this is not the right path. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need to focus. Um, so that made yeah. me laugh when you said that, because that was like exactly the thing that I identified that was like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the other and, thing that made me laugh is, you know, the flute being a quiet instrument uh, or quieter. When my husband and I bought our row house in the city that's so tiny, he said, why is the flute so loud? It's so <laughs> loud. Isn't it supposed to be quiet? Why do you make so much noise? <laughs> so, anyway. so, and so Jen, you mentioned your, your dad earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about your parents? Because I th feel like they have an interesting history too. <laughs> they do. Yes. That's boy. I didn't even put that on my list. They, no, they that, <laughs> that's okay, but you know, I've seen you like, you, you've talked about your, your dad and. Oh yeah. Well, so, so my parents, believe it or not, um, they actually met at WGAL Channel 8 in Lancaster. Um, my mom graduated from Eastman um, on, and was piano major at Eastman uh, in Rochester. And so she was originally hired. This was when they had live television. It was just starting off. Television was a new thing. And so they asked her to come on television and she would play live piano. I think it was like the Joan Klein hour is like a dinner time. And she would come out to the piano and play and people would eat dinner and watch her play piano live on TV. And then after a while, then she started to do interviews with people. Um, she did the weather. And so, yeah, she, she was one of the on-air celebrities. But meanwhile, my dad, um, who, you know, he grad he went into the army right after high school. He went to the Chicago School of Fine Arts after that, and he was a cartoonist. So he was hired by WGAL and everything was drawn by hand by that at that point. So he was in charge of doing all anything, any signs, any slides that you saw on the screen were all done by the art department. And so he and my mom met because my dad used to bring these amazing Lancaster County lunches that you know, his mom would make by hand because he grew up on, on a farm. And, and my mom, her parents were, uh, was a history professor and uh, my, my grandmother was a professional violinist and, in Philadelphia. And so, but they didn't cook. So my mom was like raised on, you know, like the more packaged foods. And then she was attracted to my dad because of the food, which explains, <laughs> a, explains a lot about me. <laughs> Usually it works the other way around, but yeah. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 where that came from. Um, and then yeah, so then after after a while, then then they got married, and then I came along because of WGAL. I keep saying like that's I would not be here if it weren't for Channel Eight, like literally. Right. So. That's just yeah. the coolest thing, and yeah, and I love like your dad's cartoons. Like sometimes you post them and. Yeah, he's still drawing. He is still drawing. Really? Yep. He, he's going to be 92 this summer. Wow. And he, I, he's already designing his cartoon for his birthday. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, the, the place where he lives, he, they, they have him do uh, holiday drawings for every brochure issue that they put out to the whole community. And so he always has a project. Like I just talked to him this morning and he's like, yeah. oh, this afternoon, I'm working on my next project. Gotta get it right. Yeah. But you're the <laughs> apple that doesn't yeah. fall far from that tree yes. with all the yeah. projects. and such. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My dad will always have something to do. Always. 
Yep. Yeah. That's, that's such that's a cool a... story. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bygone era though. Like you think about how many creative people were employed in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. It's really neat. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I even have a picture in my house that my dad was going to throw out like that. What? Like, it's it's a photograph, and it's a staged photograph of the old studio in, in Channel 8 when you had all the lighting were, like, giant, huge, heavy lights, and you have, you know, the cameraman that's pushing this giant piece of equipment, you know, and then they staged it. My mom is pretending to interview my dad on the set. <laughs> and I'm just like, how could Aww. you possibly throw this out? This is like my the beginning of my existence here. Like, right. why would you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so now I have it framed in my house. But yeah, it's it's every time I look at that picture, I'm like, wow, like this is literally like where I came from. Like, this is it, you know? Yeah, it's just it's it is totally a part cool. of history and your history. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. How cool. Yeah. And yeah. so you studied with Joel Barons um, for. I did all of that time, I guess, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes. Um, and then, so did you attend festivals and such, like when you were in high school? Oh my goodness. So I was, I was, so, okay. So in middle school, you're really bringing out stuff that I didn't think I was gonna talk about, but okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in middle school, I was honestly not the best at practicing. So, and my mom and I, like she, she and I would, would argue back and forth. And she's like, you know what, this is it. She's like, I'm tired of telling you to practice. She's like, I'm sending you to music camp for a week. Mm -hmm. And if you still hate it when you come back, she's like, that's it, you're done. You don't have to do it anymore. And I was like, all right, that's a deal. Cause mm -hmm. my 13 year old self, that's where my brain was. Um, so they sent me to the Elizabethtown music camp, which I think still yes. is going on today, which I loved. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, when I was in middle school, I could sit first chair and I really didn't have to practice very much. And, you know, and then I got to Elizabethtown and all of a sudden I was like, last chair. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, but I could play that if I practiced it, you know, and it, it started to dawn on me that, wait a minute, I, if I really put my mind to it, I might be able to actually do something with this. Yeah. Um, and the kids that I met there, all of them were talking about, well, I'm going to try out for districts or I want to go to regionals this year. And I'm like, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I had no, I had never heard of any of that. Um, so I managed to stay in touch with a lot of those kids during the school year. And I realized the only way I was going to see some of them again is if I made districts or if I got to go to regionals. So my motivation was actually more social mm -hmm. than it was musical at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's, that became my goal through high school like my freshman year i managed to get into districts i was last chair blue mm -hmm. you know which mm -hmm. still and and i'll never forget um steve bowman was my high school band director and he always made us perform our solos in front of the band yeah. before we went to districts and the, number one it was terrifying it is but terrifying. number two <laughs> but i mean I, that's that was that was huge that yeah. I mean I, I don't know whether people do that anymore um, some do I, I don't know yeah. some do I yeah I mean honestly that learning how to handle that kind of pressure was huge yeah. you know because especially as I remember doing it as a freshman my first time right. and like I, I didn't I mean here are all these seniors and they're all trying out I'm like here I'm this little freshman I'm like I don't know anything I don't even know half your names like, you know, it was, it was a big deal. Right. Um, but going to those festivals 
probably are some of my fondest memories mm -hmm. of becoming a musician, not just for the kids that were there, but the conductors were amazing. The, the amount that I learned on how to listen to each other, um, all the backgrounds, some would come from a military background, some would come from a collegiate background, some would, you know, some, some were high school band directors. Um, mm -hmm. But it was just that that influenced me. Not to mention, and I have to say this, that when we were in high school, if you made a festival, Mr. Bowman would then award you like a ribbon. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm I'm kind of big on the ribbons and the metal things. So <laughs> so by the time I was a senior, like I was like an admiral, you know. And oh, yeah, right. kind of thing, you know. I I don't I don't know whether they still do that these days, but I still have all my metals, like in a frame in my office, you know, and Right. I just, I loved it. If, if they were going to give me a medal or something that I could put on my uniform, I was like, I'll sign up. I'll do it as long as I get one of those little things, you know, like that that's was my a, goal. It's a huge motivator, of it course. And, yeah. and you don't often get trophies, you know, for being a musician. Yes. So I think they're sort right. of like our trophies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you that look is like one you've been thing. in the military. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. You look like it. You yeah. don't know. You're not. Yeah. Without yeah. doing without it. Motivated. Without actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's, and that kind of carried with me when I became a band director, because, you know, especially with the elementary kids, like, uh, they, they know, you know, we have this award for the five pound chocolate bar, you know, and the kids know, like the word, the word spreads through, through the band and through the families. Okay. Well, this is the year you get to try for the five pound chocolate bar. And if, if we didn't do that every year, like that would not be good. Like there's an expectation that uh -huh. you will do that you know and even i do that at, with our music man camp too mm -hmm. we give out camper awards at the end of camp and you know they they are the kids already know the ones that are the veterans okay so it's for rita's water ice and then the other ones for dairy queen and then you have the five like they know the, the prizes that are coming and oh, they yeah. expect it and like yeah. that's what we need to do and mm -hmm. what do we have to do to get that that's yeah. the big question like yeah yeah Exactly. So well, that's that's great. And then yeah, there's no going back after that. Like every year, you no. need, you need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yep. that's great. And and so then of course then you were in the New Holland band. And how old were you when you were involved with that? Thirteen. Like you, you were thirteen, so you're like seventh yeah. grade ish. And yeah, and I would come and Mr. Barons would be playing, and I would. He was the one that I was. I was his apprentice because um, you had to be assigned to an, uh, you know, to to a oh. musician, and and as he was, you know, kind of listening to me each week, and I'd be like, okay, that's <laughs> so interesting. Work on this. Yeah, 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 it was a great was, system. When when I joined, the there was well, there might have been an apprentice thing, but of course there weren't any oboes at that point, so it was like, well, Kirsten, you have to do this, you know, says Marlon Hauk, and yeah. then they brought in Jeff O'Donnell to play the first concert that I ever played with them. And they did Scheherazade. Oh, so here I am, that. 16 years old with Jeff O'Donnell, who is this amazing oboist in like county, sitting next. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're thinking this guy's going to leave and I'm going to be stuck. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like looking like it was like the end of the concert and he's like oh kid you're gonna be fine you know you'll be fine I was like you're not staying <laughs> no oh, so, but, but that's that's great um, oh. with the apprentice uh like kind of program that they had or affiliation 
Well, and honestly, and that, again, that, that also carry through with the camps that we do now. Um, like we have a lot of kids, well, before COVID, it was working very well. Now we're kind of backtracking a little bit because of COVID, but um, we have campers that go for all five, six years. And then once they hit that eighth grade, because they age out at, at, once they get into high school, then we have the high school volunteer come back and they serve as a volunteer for a year on our, on our staff. And then they gradually work their way up every year. We call them greenies because they wear green shirts. So to become an official greenie, you know, you have to work your way up through the years and every year you gain more experience. And honestly, a lot of them are now music majors in college. And what's really cool is they're starting to come back as our lead teachers, but they've been through the camp since, you know, since they were younger. So this is, this is going to be our 10th year of camp. And like, we're, we're starting to see that family and that apprentice process really work well. That's wonderful. It's really neat. I feel like that that is one of the best things about music in general, you know, is that you, if like, if you have a good, a good system in your music program in a public school, those kids, you see the older kids and you want, the little ones want to be those older kids. So when you can incorporate that, that inspiration of seeing students who are older than you, but not by that much, just makes mm -hmm. such a difference. I mean, I, even when I was in school, elementary school I remember our show choir coming in elementary school and just being like man I just want to be one of those people and and it stuck with me you know like five years later when you finally get the chance to try to do it but I think it's such a cool thing because then those students start to pay more attention to what's going on around them so you're saying like the ones who are becoming music majors and then coming back and teaching and it's because they as they mature and they start to have that awareness of you know what's going on around them and the impact it's making that's really neat yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely anywhere you can bring you know high school kids with elementary kids to play <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> to play together i think that would be amazing um like we did a a mega band back because of covid actually we did a mega band because it was the only way we could get everybody together to do a, a performance of some kind um <clears throat> but it was the strongest recruiting that we ever had because the, the elementary kids, they just, you know, just, just to even see, you know, they it was with the marching band, we did it on the football field. Um, but, you know, to see, well, that's, that's what you play in high school marching band, you know, the drummers were just, oh my gosh, they were like beside themselves, you know, because they just, you know, couldn't believe that they would eventually be able to do this, you know. Yeah. And it's um, only a few years away for them, you know, so it's like tangible. Yeah. That they can right, right. Right. So yeah, anytime you can have an apprentice program of any kind, I think it's huge, no matter what, what you're working with. Yeah. So, so then, so you chose to go to Millersville and um, so who was, and overall, like, who would you say is your most influential teacher? Like whether it was like somebody from, oh, wow. I mean, That's is tough. there, or wow, so that's that's hard because there, there. I had so many good professors. I really did. Um, well, and even and like just overall too. Maybe not just Millersville, but like. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jack Colangelo stands out because I would just. He was just incredible. I I've mean, he, he would play clarinet, and his fingers would just fly. I'm like, how do you how do you do that? How do you move them that fast? You know, yeah. um, and. I'll never forget our woodwinds class 
he, he would always give us all these little you know secrets that I still use today with my clarinet kids and little exercises that he would teach us. Um, but then I'll never forget for the, I guess, part of the final, he handed out the fingering charts for like bassoon and every, every woodwind instrument. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, here you go. He's like, I'll see you at finals. And we're like, what? <laughs> and so we literally, we go in the practice room with the fingering chart and we like clocking away on bassoon or, you know, whatever it was, but we learned all the fingering on all the instruments. Like you had to know what they were otherwise yeah. that was it you know and I I love that I to me that was like a huge challenge for me mm-hmm. um yeah. Jean Romig on strings mm-hmm. was incredible I mean I didn't wind up teaching strings until like my last 10 years of teaching mm-hmm. um which I didn't mind because I mean, as long as I'm holding an instrument I'm good if I'm not holding an instrument they make me saying that's really not a good thing mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I loved it. And and she, I, I could still remember what she taught me even like 20 some years later um, because she, she made it so that it, you could retain it. Um, and a lot of the Suzuki methods she taught, even though I didn't really teach my kids Suzuki, I knew from what she taught me that, you know, these are the techniques that you want to ingrain in your students before you even go about reading the notes. You know, this is, this is the technique that they have to master first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was a huge help. Um, and Jerry Friday, he was my uh, co-op at Octorera. I love him. Um, he he was he fought for me on so many levels, um, which kind of sounds strange for me to say, but I had a very unique student teaching experience, and it was all because of him. Um, I know that the typical student teaching experience usually you do like elementary for like six, seven weeks, I think it is. And then you switch to secondary. Mm -hmm. And he told my supervisor from the beginning, he's like, I want her doing everything all the time for the entire 12 weeks or 13 weeks that I have her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, here's her schedule. And you're going to go teach fifth grade music here. Then you're going to hit high school course next. Then you're going to go teach middle school band. Then you're going to go do like, and so every day for 12 weeks, from the beginning, like from January through the end of the school year concerts, I started the kids, I saw them through the task and we finished it together. Wow! And I was so happy that he did that with me because I felt like, oh my gosh, I truly can do all this different stuff. And I actually have seen it through the whole way. That is so unique. Um, Like that doesn't happen, I feel. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And I begged for years, you know, when I had student teachers, you know, and I, I, I did not have as much luck with that. Um, but I truly feel like if, if that's possible in a situation, like that's the best way to do it. Right. Um, to get as many different levels as you can, to take them from beginning to end, like that's huge. Yeah. Um, and Jerry Fry, and he and he was, I, I only knew him as a trumpet player in New Holland Band. But he was, he, was he the high school band director at Octorera? He was high school band. Yep. Okay. Yep. High school band. And he was the department chair. Um, and he, he saved me from failing student teaching. Yeah, so, really? <laughs> no lie. This is uh, honest truth. You almost so, I don't I, Well, so it was very interesting. Um, so I was doing really well. You know, I, I met all the qualifications and, you know, I'm, I'm all set to graduate. And 
so here comes the final band concert. And of course, you know, all my, my whole career, all I wanted to do was conduct a high school band. Like that is my dream job. That's all I wanted to do. I was so excited. And so I really wanted to wear a tux, but my mom's like, that's nope. You can't do that. That's too over the top. Like, nope. You know, and my mom, you know, she, she was conservative. She, you know, so I knew that if she approved something that I should be okay, you know? Yeah. So sorry, my phone's like going crazy. I don't know why. Um, but she, she took me out and we got this really cool looking, it was the eighties remember, but you know, it was, it was with the pad shoulders and all that, but it was a pantsuit. It was an all black pantsuit. And I was like, great, I can conduct the high school band. This is still very professional looking. She's like, it looks classy. You're okay. I'm like, my mom approves. It's gotta be okay. You know? So we happened to be taking a tour with the, my, my supervisor at the time. And she's like, well, you know, what are you wearing for the concert? And I was like, oh, I got this pantsuit. It's awesome. And she's like, you're not wearing that. Oh, and no. I said, what? And I like, what do you mean? And she's like, no, you have to wear a skirt or a dress. You, you don't wear pantsuits. And I'm like, what? My mom okayed this. Like, how is, <laughs> how is this not okay? You know, and, and she was, and I, and I was like crushed because I thought, you yeah. know, like I, I found, you know, and, and he, he called my supervisor because she was going to fail me. She's like, you wear that, you fail. No, no lie. No lie. And he called her and they kind of had it out. And he's like, I, you know, I will, I will stake my career on her. You know, she's doing a great job. That would be crazy to fail her for what she wears like that. You know, but, but that was what in 1990, I graduated college. I mean, it really wasn't that long ago, Yeah, Yeah. but I'm, I'm telling you, like people don't understand like female, female band directors. I've, I've been through a couple interesting situations that people are like, that couldn't happen. I'm like, yep, it did. And it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are very interesting situations that I feel like, I feel like now we've, we've definitely come a lot farther, but I feel like there's definitely still some wiggle room, you know? Um, but yeah, thank you, Jerry Friday, because wow. he really, wow. yeah, absolutely. Yep. I can't, yeah. And like, and hey, like, we can't even imagine like that particular situation mm-hmm. happening, you know. But yeah. wow. So, so then after you were done uh, student teaching, then it, was it right after that that you were hired at Garden Spots for your first? So, yeah, have us see. So, I did my first, uh, first teaching gig with a long term sub in Octorera. Um, okay. And that was, what did I do? Like, I, again, I kind of did like a little bit of everything. Um, but then at the same, oh, then the second year was when Marlon Half went on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I came to Garden Spot for a year and I did the marching band and I did the high school band. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, love the marching band, especially because that's what I always wanted to do. That was, that was my draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Marlon came back from sabbatical. And so I wound up teaching for a year at Kennett. And I did high school band at Kennett, but they had no marching band. So therefore I kept the garden spot marching band. And then I would drive from Kennett to garden spot and back and forth and wow. do that for a year. Um, and then my fourth year, I wound up 
taking over AJ Young's spot uh, at the middle school doing eighth grade music. But I got to do the Garden Spot marching band. So I was still doing marching band that I loved and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, and then after that, then when Marlon retired, then, then I went into the high school, middle school band at Garden Spot. Mm-hmm. So okay. it took me a while to get to that, that dream job that I was looking for. Right. Which, so you had that like quote unquote dream job, um, mm-hmm. but then you were, you switched to the elementary. Um, I did. After yeah. that. So was and was that that was your choice? That was my choice. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point I had met my my husband Brad. Um he happened to be when I met him, he was elementary band director uh in Upper Darby. Um he had two kids and I realized that if I was gonna keep this up and, and do high keep doing high school, like I would I was never going to see them. <laughs> Literally, I was never going to be home enough. Um, so when, when the opportunity came and, you know, then I switched to elementary, which was tough. That was not an easy decision to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the only time I ever cried in front of my band, but I, it was a tough one. I really, I loved it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but it, it, it turned out to be a really good thing. Um, not only cause I could spend more time with my family, but also, um, it just opened a whole nother world that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. people people underestimate elementary music teachers (laughs) I think at least that's that's been my experience I think you know in high school everybody's focused on their subject and they are the master of their subject and you know they they know a lot which is good but Mm -hmm. the question is how did how did you get there and who was the one that sparked you way back when and you going yeah yeah, and, and if, if you don't have, you know, they call them theater programs, which I really am not crazy about that word, but, you know, if you don't have a good theater program, you don't have a program. Right. So, you, you know, it's very important to really, really network with your elementary people mm-hmm. and right. understand what they need, because if they don't have what they need, you're never going to get what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that was a big eye opener. It's, it's a, yeah an important relationship and absolutely <laughs> one feed and one does feed off of the other. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so when was it that you met Brad? Like what year? Let me think. Um, I'm not sure. What the, I think it was 1995. Okay. But we were both taking classes at Villanova. Okay. Um, then not, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, sort of. Yeah. So he was standing in front of me in line and had long black hair and a polka dot shirt and white socks that like basketball socks and um, penny loafers. And I was like, that's, I don't know about that. (laughs) There's an interesting guy. There's an interesting person. Yes. I was like, he must be an interesting person. Yes. And then, yeah, my friend uh, Dawn Main at the time, she and I were, were, Two, I think the two only female high school band directors around at, at the time. Um, okay. And so she and I were taking classes together. And so they have a picnic at Villanova, which they still do to this day. Um, and I always, we always credited the Villanova picnic with that, which actually bringing us together. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're from Lancaster County. We don't know anything about Philadelphia. This is before cell phones. There were no GPS things. Like, you know, we're like, we heard this thing called virtual reality 
and we, we know it's somewhere in Philly and it'd be really cool, but we don't know where we are, you know? And so Brad's like eavesdropping on our conversation and he's like, well, I know where to take you. I'll take you to Dave and Buster's. We can all go. And we're, we're like, I guess it's okay to go with this guy because we don't know anything about him, but he seems to be a teacher, we think, you know, like, <laughs> so the three of us wound up going to Dave and Buster's um, after, after one of the classes. And that's, that's kind of where everything started. Okay. Yeah. And yep. So and so, when did you get married? That would have been 1998. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, and then we wound up living in Westchester because that was halfway between Upper Darby and and Lancaster. Um, and I'm still there because um, that, that was just a really really good location for us. Um, but yeah, the cool thing was, you know, we both did elementary band. So he would write a new piece for elementary band for our gala every year. And uh, we would eventually, um, we created the Shaner Custom Music Company. And that's how he started publishing his pieces. Uh, so he, we've got a library of over 40 uh, arrangements that he did for mainly elementary kids. Um, he did some middle school, but it was mainly focused on elementary. And the neat thing about his music was that you could take a kid that knew five notes and put them with a kid that had been playing for three years and you could create this 300 piece band because they could all play together and you know before covid like <laughs> that was that was what we used to love to do is just create these giant performances right. um and it was because of the way he wrote his music um and he also wrote it so that it was it was more teaching the rhythms by rote than trying to explain to the kids exactly how to count them you know um he, you know, he would take a, a tune, like for instance, like Ode to Louie is probably the favorite because um, a lot of a lot of our elementary kids like that one. But he would take Louie Louie mm -hmm. and, the, you know, the bass, bass part from that. But then he would put Ode to Joy over top of it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and so that was kind of his thing. Like he would take a tune um, by whether it was Stevie Wonder, or, you know, and put it with Bach. And I'm like, what, how did you even, like, why would you even think about putting those two, like, where did that come from? Yeah. And that's, he would just, you know, sit in a chair at the laptop and write them. Like he would never, he never had a piano in front of him. He would just do it right out of his head, which also drove me nuts because I don't know how he did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that skill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was really a lot of fun because we would try them out in Upper Darby and then we would try out the song in Lancaster. And if it worked in both, we're like, we got something. This, this might actually work, you know? Because right. um, it works with all kids. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where we got started with the Shaner Custom Music. Yeah, wow, that's that's great. Um, so so what, what was it that you admired most about Brad? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, because there's a lot, I'm there's, sure. There's a, there's a lot. Um, I mean, just just musicianship, he was ridiculous. I mean, he could have been playing with any professional group and any instrument, you know, whether it was bagpipes, whether it was clarinet. I mean, he could play them all at an extremely high level. Mm -hmm. um, and we would we would play duets and he would cheat because it would drive, you know, I'm, I'm classically trained, of course, you know. So I would have to read all the notes on the page and everything would have to be played, you know. And he wouldn't, you know, he would play flute along with me, mm -hmm. but if he couldn't play it technically as fast, he would just 
make it up. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, you can't do that. That's cheating. And he'd be like, it still sounded good, didn't it? So I'm pretty sure it's okay. <laughs> so we would, <laughs> we would go back and forth like this all the time. Um, so his musicianship was amazing. Um, when he got diagnosed with cancer in 2009, and I think the thing I admired most was how he handled it. Um, we literally, looking back, like, and how to put this any other way, but when you know that you have to live while you're dying at the same time, you totally live life differently. So he had stage four cancer for five years. He was supposed to live for two months. And it was a very rare cancer that at that time, nobody really knew anything about. Um, but we decided that we were going to just do everything possible that he wanted to fit in. We were going to do it full speed as much as we could <laughs> and still have the kids have, you know, as normal a life as we could and keep their lives going. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's how I am. You know, when, when, when you said, you know, how do you organize all this? It's, it's just because you just keep going. You just keep, yeah. you know, taking on whatever life comes and, and brings to you. Mm -hmm. um, he kept saying to me, he's like, I'm not done. He's like, I have so much more to do here. And so, you know, when I, when I work on these projects, like I have that voice in my head yeah. all the time and, you know, I'm not done yet. Like we have more to do, yeah. you know? So that's, that's probably what I took away most. Yeah. And that's, I'm sure like partially where the passion and the drive um, come from. I mean, certainly, you know, <laughs> from your own self, but, mm -hmm. from, you know, his desire to, to keep things, to keep things going and have the kids still playing and, and making music and Absolutely. making it accessible. Right. 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 And, you know, he didn't want to be remembered for his cancer. You know, because a lot of people will ask me, well, what, you know, what type of cancer was it? Do you do fundraisers for that cancer, you know, research? And I'm like, that's not what he wanted to be remembered for. He right. wanted to, you know, it's about the kids. It's about the music. That's, right. that's what was important to him. Um, yeah. And I, you know, he was very famous for just winging it, but <laughs> he would drive me nuts because I was a huge planner. Like, <laughs> I had everything planned, how it was going to go in life. I was, you know, and by this point in my life, I'm going to be doing this. And then by the time I'm this age, I'm going to have this. And then of course that all blew up. And I learned, nope, sometimes you just go with life and yeah. it's, and, and you have to embrace that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't, you know, we, we were supposed to be touring Europe by now. Um, and he was good. We were going to play all the instruments. It was going to be an act that we did. And he would be the comedian and I would be the straight one. And like, I mean, he had all this, like he had all this in his head. Like when the kids were grown, this is what we would be doing, you know? Aww. And so, yeah, so that, that didn't quite pan out, but you know, to, to look at, at the programs that, that have come about because of what he envisioned, wow. you know, when he, he set up the Shaner fund in, in, uh, about a month before he passed away in 2009. Wow. So if you had told me then that I would still be doing this, what, 13 years later, I never would have believed it. Um, but yeah, if, if anything, it's, it's growing and it's because he yeah. had this vision and the passion for it. Right. 
that's just, it's, that's amazing. So, so during that time, like when he was, he was diagnosed to, to when he passed, um, like how, how did you deal with the stress of, of all of that? Do you even remember? Good like, question. I, I mean, <laughs> you don't even. It's it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I, I give my dad credit a lot because the, the when he first got diagnosed, like I was a mess. Like I just kind of fell apart and I didn't really, I couldn't function. Like yeah. it was, it was really rough. And, you know, Brad was like, well, I was going to buy a new pair of sneakers, but I don't think I will now. And it was really my dad that sat us both down and he was like, look, he's like, because at the time, like Brad wasn't showing any signs of being physically ill. We knew it was in there. We knew it was bad, but physically, I mean, he did everything he normally did. You know, he didn't look any different. Uh, he would just get really, really tired. That's that's probably the biggest thing that happened. But my dad was like, he's still here. He's fine. You're going to, you know, you're both got to get a grip and realize that, you know, you the doctors may say two months, but that doesn't mean they're right. You know, he's like, you, you know, right now you just have to be there and, and support each other. And so from that point on, I feel like that kind of spurred us into, okay, well, what, what do we want to do? What are your goals? What do you, you know? And that's, that's where the Shane request the music thing came from because he wanted to publish his arrangement. Right. Um, and, you know, then we wanted to travel a little bit. So we went, we managed to fit that in there. Um, he really wanted to just focus on the kids and, you know, make sure that even though he was going off the chemo treatments, he wanted me to stay with the kids and make sure that they didn't miss Boy Scouts, make sure they didn't miss, you know, band practice or soccer or whatever it was at the time. Um, but yeah, it's, it was tough. It, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone. It's, it's a horrible thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, so, so actually then like with your dad, you know, talking to you about that, maybe that like helped bring out the planner in you <laughs> to <Probably>. like <laughs> something to like kind of like focus on like, okay, well, let's, let's do this and maybe we can do this. And yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. And, and there projects that we always had a project right, of right. some kind. Um, and we also, you know, Brad was, he, he loved having people over and, you know, we would like he had the one year he had all of his elementary schools to our house, like on the last day of school. Oh my. And, you know, or we would have, we called the Shaner Golf Classic. Was it on Labor Day? I think it was on Labor Day. Um, but, you know, we would literally turn our backyard into a miniature golf course, literally. Yeah. And so, you know, we had the shot over the pool or you'd have to, you know, go into the shed, pass the woodchuck like you know there was like all, all these different things that we did um yeah. and we had the band director party and then we had the halloween party like it was never anything small it was like usually 80 to 100 people yeah. and everybody would bring something but it was i guess that's kind of how i started doing events because i was like ah well we just had 80 people well all right i can pull this off because i know <laughs> right. you know it was kind of, kind of like a springboard for doing other things um, you know, events in the community. Right. So, so you just recently retired just last year from Elanco, correct? Yeah. Right. And so, so was that a difficult decision? It didn't happen when I thought it was going to. 
Um, I actually, it was, it was kind of a, just an opportunity came along that, that I felt I couldn't say no to. And, and the timing was, was where I thought it should be. Um, I mean, I love, I love working with my kids at school. I, I, I do miss doing that every yeah. day. Um, and Jack, my partner, is, he's amazing. I love him. You know, he, he's great. I, I just, I felt like when the foundation came to me and said, hey, we can offer you a full-time job. At the time, I was driving four hours a day, uh, several days a week. Because by the time I would, I would go to school and I would teach all day at school. And then I would drive back to, to my house in Westchester, grab a bite to eat. And then I go to Upper Darby in the evening. And this was like before Zoom was a thing. Like Zoom didn't really happen until over COVID, you know, for the most part. Right. So it was, I was just exhausted and I was, you know, I was doing two different worlds and two, two different kinds of programs. Um, but really, I think over COVID, uh, you know, it, it gave me time to think a little bit and, and see what, what I was capable of doing where. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was, it was the right time. It was time for me to, to try something different. Yeah. And you were at that point in your career. I mean, you been there for 30 years right so. right so I'm still I'm still working full-time I mean I'm not oh, I'm yeah. retired from my public school teaching job but I'm I'm definitely still working <laughs> yeah you just yes. moved to a different kind of work yeah yes yes so, absolutely um yeah and what did what did you enjoy the most when you were at Alanco? like oh wow um I miss I miss the tours I miss the 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 kids and the excitement mm -hmm. and just watching them realize what they're capable of doing because yeah. beginners are awesome can I tell you working with beginners is probably the most challenging thing <laughs> at least for an instrumentalist like you just have to read into their head like what are they thinking and you know some of these kids they come in and and they some of them will just pick it up and like oh I got this you know no big deal but others come in and they're terrified or they just don't understand, you know, well, why doesn't it work the first time I do it? And then you have to kind of coach them through, well, it's going to take time, you know, and it's not going to happen right away. And, you know, then they'll, they'll see the kid next to them and all of a sudden they're on page nine and like, well, how come I'm not doing that? You know, and then you have to, there's a lot of psychology <laughs> I think involved with it um, that, that, that you don't, you aren't aware of and, until you actually work with beginners. Um, I know that my student teaching experience, um, I really didn't work with beginners a whole lot. I think we had, we would visit one elementary school and give like one lesson a week. Um, I think it was in Columbia actually. Um, but, you know, when you have your own band of beginners and they're all new, <laughs> you really have to think. <laughs> How is this going to go at rehearsal and how can we make it to you know? And I told them, like, they're going to sound bad. I told the parents, they're going to sound bad. This is, we start off with noise, we come out with music. It's not going to happen overnight, you know. But I, I just, the beginners are great. And everything you do, they're just, they're just like, wow, this is so cool, you know. <laughs> that's, that's one thing, the big difference between high school and elementary so when, I, when I switched. Like oh, yeah. high, high school and elementary kids, they're all the same. They don't know where their instrument is. They can't find a read. They don't know where their music is. Like that never changes. You know, I mean, that, that was, that's so similar. But then it's, it's the excitement 
Like what, what excites an elementary kid is not what excites a high school kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, still yeah, the five pound chocolate bar could work for a high school student, but. I think it would. I really do think it would. Yeah. I, I advocate for the five pound chocolate bar wherever I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it takes like a special personality or a special type of person to work with beginners that way. And like, I, I think what you're saying is so true that it's like, I mean, it's like, that's the real magic. And the number of students that I've had come take lessons with me when they're first starting and I'm thinking, this kid is never going to get it. They're not even interested. What is happening? And then you spend some time with them and you just keep trying, trying. And sometimes six months later, sometimes it's two years, like something clicks and they, they get things they haven't gotten, but to have that patience. And I think to some extent, you make a different kind of an impact with older students, but you really it's really special what happens when a teacher is willing to have patience for a kid who is a beginner at that age, you know, and, and that you spend that time with them and then help them figure out, and you think about all the ways that transfers to their life where they figure out that I can do something difficult and it's not going to happen right away. And what the implications there are of that when we live in sort of an instant gratification society where, you know, you take a test, you get a grade, everything happens right. instantly you know to teach that to to students at that age it's just really important mm-hmm. and and i think the neat thing about well, at least with with our with a Langford district the way we have it set up i had kids for three years in a row if they started in fourth grade i'd have them fourth fifth and sixth and we had it set up so they would stay with me those three years so i truly got to know the kids i got to see their growth i you know kids that struggled for fourth grade they struggled fifth grade and then sixth grade it's like ta-da they got it like <laughs> you know it, it just exactly exactly and and you never know like you know and some of them maybe they didn't get it later i don't know yeah. but you you keep encouraging them and you keep you know as long as they're willing to put the time in and keep trying they're yeah. gonna get it yeah you know, and they, at, they, at they that age, there's just a huge rate of growth mm-hmm. and i think you made a good point that you know the you got to stay with them and it's like even I had a math teacher my school district was really tiny that I grew up in from seventh grade to 10th grade and spending that time with this teacher who was such a good teacher and was so invested but that walked through all these different things with me from like algebra all the way up to calculus and like made that subject like special and important and you know they were really engaged for that like you spending that time with them is probably a big part of that growth process. Um, there's a stability in that, you know. Absolutely. So the fact that your program's structured that way to have that time um, where they're seeing the same person um, has to be really impactful. And I think you know that's that's what we tried to encourage them as well. Like the, those kids that are in band, like they're going to be with you all through high school, you know. And for an elementary kid to understand what you know what kind of a long-lasting relationship that is they can't always visualize you right. know they don't always understand that um but then by the time they get to high school then 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 they're the family that you know then then they get it yeah um, but it's, it's really neat i i do love that so now your new role um this is with the upper darby foundation um you're a director of creative educational programming right correct yes what does yeah, that so mean? That allows, well, honestly, that kind of allows me to do any kind of programs 
whether it's educational or artistic, yeah. it, it gives me a lot of leeway. Okay. Um, so I, I get to work with the community a lot. Um, we just, we formed a group this year called the Upper Darby Collaborative, which is a group we meet once a month. We just met this morning, actually, um, of nonprofit leaders from the area. So the YMCA, the Rotary, um, the libraries, uh, we have different um, food, food uh, distribution centers. Um, we have one from the local churches. We have the Little League. Um, we all come together and it really just started as a conversation to kind of help everybody come out of COVID and figure out, wait, are you okay? Did you survive? Like, can we help you? Like, what, what can we do? As, as a team, you know, for the community and, you know, what can we work on together? Uh -huh. um, and it, it also, there, there's a group of uh, high school students in Upper Darby that years ago, six years ago, I think, um, we have uh, student representatives on our foundation board. And one of them came to me and she said, we really want to start a service club. And she, she really, Kind of launched the whole thing and it was it was student run so the kids decided what projects they wanted to work on they decide who their leaders are they organize uh you know the kids themselves for each project that we do and so my my job with that kind of became like a community coordinator mm -hmm. and so what i do is we have like a couple hundred kids in the service club and then because now we have this upper darby collaborative i say hey ymca you need help with that food drive that you're doing on Saturdays. And so then I will connect the kids with the YMCA or connect the kids with the libraries or whatever project that they're working on. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the Chainer 5K and Music Man Festival, the whole reason why we've been able to do that so many years is because these kids, they love doing projects and events. And so like, here comes my team of service club kids. Mm -hmm. And because of them, we're able to pull off this, this huge event. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's that, that title allows me to not just do the music programming piece, but it also allows me to do the community piece, which is, is huge. And I think it's, it's how the community is going to stay together and how we stay connected. Right. Yeah. And and there are other things too. I mean, that you had actually listed to me, there were like seven like different projects that you have going on right now that you've like started <laughs> with that many different things. Like how, how do you keep all of that organized? Like, <laughs> I mean, the nice thing, it, the nice thing is they're all kind of interrelated to some degree. Okay. So if, for instance, like what, what I did with the collaborative this morning, you know, we're talking about what services do we want to do in the fall? Well, how's that going to, you know, work with the service club? Well, will that affect what we do with the, you know, festival fundraisers? Um, you know, a lot of them are interconnected. Uh -huh. um, the, the, the toast to the arts that we just did, that was a big event, but we did it. Um, there are several music teachers and art teachers that retired from Upper Darby this year. And Upper Darby is always known for their galas. Um, which was a big foundation fundraiser, but then the money all came back to the school district. Mm. Um, but a lot of the teachers that that really have been doing that gala for the last, I think it was 22 years. Um, you know, they they are retirement age, so they a lot of them retired this spring, and we just did this toast to the arts to help honor them and thank them. Okay. Um, so it's all kind of interrelated. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
right. it's not always the easiest to keep track and that that's my iPhone keeps going off with reminders of stuff that I'm supposed to do <laughs> so, <laughs> yep so that that's thank goodness for the iPhone yeah no kidding <laughs> yeah. no that's yeah that's great um so with like all of the fundraising now so you had studied some of this at was it Villanova that mm -hmm. you took a, a course with you know fundraising or or certification I guess mm -hmm. right. um so I don't know is there is there like a big lesson that you've learned from all of the fundraising that you've done and and keeping like the the Shaner fund afloat and yeah absolutely I mean well first of all when I first started talking about fundraising to me as a band director it was like that must mean hoagie sales or it must mean something like you know so yeah. fundraising as a nonprofit, much different much much larger scale um much wider net to cast um i have learned that you never know where your next funding opportunity is going to come from like i i have a team of grant writers that that we work with over the years who are dynamite and they've um learned more about the programs and they've seen them grow so once you get a group of people that that understands what your mission is and what you're trying to do for kids they can they can really put that on paper and, and grasp that for you um so I, it's important to have a good team of grant writers behind you but you know individual donors you never know what what's going to happen um i'll never forget a couple of years ago um they did a, the newspaper in delco did a, a story on the music man festival um and somebody saw it and when she passed away she left us a hundred thousand dollars I never knew this person. I never knew if she was I, I just wow. but she she saw the article and yeah, it was amazing. I, I, you just you just don't know. Yeah, you just you don't, don't know who you're going to affect or you don't know who you're going to touch with whatever you're you're doing with the kids or whatever your mission is. Yeah. Um and all yeah, you they are putting it out there, right? Like with you know articles or you know whether it's your writing or videos or you know um mm -hmm. you know putting it out there and then <laughs> and, and honestly like support comes from from many different places you don't you don't know mm -hmm. you know there, there's a system you know with, with fundraising that they teach you know you have to have donor outreach and you know there are all these facets to it which is which is all true and very important but when it comes down to it like you just don't know who that person is or that that where that opportunity is going to come from um so right. you, you just have to be aware of that all the time uh -huh. so, yeah. yeah that was i've definitely learned a lot yeah um and and obviously like it's working because <laughs> you've helped build such an amazing program so um so beyond that um what do you now, this is kind of getting back to just music education. Like, what do you feel now that you've been, you've taught for 30 years and you're doing what you're doing now, what do you feel is the biggest challenge facing music education today? So like considering this like as like post COVID, if we can call it that right now, um, mm -hmm. like what, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Mm -hmm. 
that's a tough one. I mean, I feel in some ways music has come a long way because of COVID, just because it's kind of forced us to look a bit more into the digital world than we were before. Um, you know, as a, as a teacher that has not been trained in many digital techniques that the younger teachers are, you know, just, you know, we just weren't. Um, that I think that really kind of expedited things. But I think for a young, for a young music teacher starting out, there are certain things now that more than ever, I feel they're more important. Um, for instance, like urban, urban music education versus suburban music education. Um, there was actually a session on this at the PMEA conference back in April, which I thought was fascinating. Um, the way urban schools, Philadelphia school district, like they don't have football fields. They don't have marching bands. Uh -huh. What they're doing with, with their music education is not really what I learned in my suburban music education experience. Um, and so you have all these people graduating, you know, looking for these marching band jobs, but the jobs are in Philadelphia, they're in urban areas. Um, but are they actually, are, are we being trained well enough to go into those areas? Um, so I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Um, so I feel like that's something that I don't know if the, the collegiate levels need to look at that more. And I, I don't know, I don't know. Can, can you offer an urban experience if you're not anywhere close to a city? Like, what are you gonna do? Like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you correct that? Um, but I, I see that as, a, a, especially, you know, in Upper Darby, because it's right on the edge of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a big, big thing. Well, and, and too, with the way that like technology is changing everything, like it's a different way of teaching for sure than what we were <laughs> taught when we were going to school. Absolutely. And a lot of it is in the, the training that you get at the, the college level. Yeah. And I think I, I really, if, if I were giving any advice, like I would say add some music therapy classes. Mm. Um, because I think music educators, you know, we're, we're being put into special education classrooms more so, and they're expecting, they're kind of expecting more of a music therapy experience, but yet again, we're not always trained in that. Right, yeah. Um, so that, and, and that's really come from working with these special needs camps that we do in the summer. Because mm -hmm. um, we have a team of music educators with music therapists. And that combination for me has been an eye opener. Yeah. Because how therapists approach things is different than how an educator approaches things, which you wouldn't really, I mean, I wouldn't think that originally, mm -hmm. but that's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a big, like, like social emotional component to that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think one, one big advocacy thing that I feel really music people need to, to really kind of push is that we're the only thing left that teaches kids how to listen. Uh, uh -huh. Everything else is visual. Everything else is, you know, putting it on paper, right. which is all great. But we're, we're taught from a very young age, well, listen to the person next to you. Listen to the group. Listen to the whole band or the orchestra. Like, we listen all the time. And I feel like 
especially in our world right now, people are forgetting how to listen. Everybody no. wants to win. Everybody wants to be in charge or, you know, but it's like, that's not what it's about. It's about listening. And yeah, I, I feel like that's becoming lost in our education system. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm advocating for the listening platform, whatever that is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that, that's, that's what I really noticed more than anything. Um, and it's, and kids need to be able to be kids. Um, Brad used to do recruitment for Upper Darby and he always would wear a suit and tie to, to school. No question. Like they, Upper Darby always was very well dressed when, when they were teaching. And what was funny to me was when it was recruitment time, he would put on the loudest, most obnoxious shirt, tiger shirts, hologram shirts, prism shirts. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, you be the fourth grader. He's like, would you want to take lessons from the guy in the suit and tie? Or would you want to take lessons from the guy in the tiger shirt? And like <laughs> that, that stuck with me because he's absolutely right. Like he yeah. understood how kids think. And that's, you know, I, I think we lose that. Like, it's okay to be a kid. That's why they're kids. Like, they don't have to be, you know, that, that, that's very important. I think that's great. Cause like when I first moved to Lancaster, everybody kept saying like, oh, well, you're so young. Like, that's why everybody wants to take lessons with you. Cause you're so young and whatever. And it's like, what happens when I'm not young anymore? <laughs> you know, right, I'm right. not a fun teacher. Am I not like it? I think. You, that's the first time I've heard somebody say it in a way that like it's not about your actual age it's about embracing you know your that ability we all have to be a kid at heart or to you know even with teenage students to to reconnect yourself to what it's like to be in their shoes um doesn't mean that you're not the adult in the room or that you can't age but I think that's a really you made that point in a really a way that I haven't heard anybody make it yet. It's always, you know, oh, well, you're just young. Well, what, what about when I'm not, <laughs> you know, but it's like embracing, embracing those things in a way that helps the kids understand that they can connect to you. Yeah. And that's so important. Like it, it, that's why our music, the music man camp that we provide. Yes. It's your music man camp where you, you, you know, you go, you play your instrument, you have a lesson, you go to sectionals, you play in a large ensemble. Like that's what your traditional music camp looks like. The way Brad envisioned it, we also combine like some some years we, we've done like Frisbee competitions. And then, you know, some years we'll do, we well, every year we've done a little bit of yoga and we talk about breathing and anxiety and, you know, stage fright and that sort of thing. Or if you go to take a test or something like that. Um, we have conducting class, we have, you know, various musicians come in, like this year, we're going to have a harp, uh, a harp uh, major from uh, Westchester, who's an Upper Darby grad. She's going to come in and do a harp master class. But then the next day we're bringing in Snack Time Philly, who plays for the uh, Sixers halftime show. And a lot of those guys are Upper Darby grads. But like, you know, I try to keep it. So like every day the kids walk in and they're like, what? We're doing, we're doing what? Like, I want that, that wow factor Right. Like, I don't want it to be just same kind of thing all the time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's, that's it's important. So much of what you're talking about is like, I think just good teaching. Like it's like seeing the bigger picture, like when you were talking about being with your students in elementary school for 
a period of time. It's like the consistency allows them to make those connections. And then also just, you know, like in this situation, it's like you have a broader perspective of like what makes things enjoyable and keeps them on their toes and helps like, but you're also helping them make connections about how, even if they're not musicians, how all of it's important, how it fits, you know, why it's worth doing. Um, and it's just having like the bigger picture in mind always when you're when you're doing these little bits and pieces that that end up fitting together. Absolutely. And yeah. I feel like in, in public schools, at least I know, you know, we're so we're getting so confined by time and, you know, by how much attention we can give each kid. And, you know, when you're trying to do a bigger picture, it gets harder and harder to do the bigger picture. Because, right. And when you're being yeah. measured on such small scales all the time. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I, like our time is up for the most part, but I do have one more question for you. Oh and, boy, okay. Yeah, this is more for me than anything, but what kind of music do you listen to? Um, like, do you have a Spotify playlist? Like what, what is it that you're listening to <laughs> when you're in your car? I have a very eclectic playlist. Um, <laughs> It's funny. So yeah, so I I admit I like I love Jake Collier. I'm I I'm a huge Jake Collier fan. I have my Rainbow Crocs at home. That uh, yeah. So yeah, he's he's just amazing. Um, but it depends on the day, honestly. Like it it could it could be the classical station. It could be the jazz station, it could be the Dua Lipa on Pandora. Like, I don't know, like it's whatever, whatever kind of hits me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you yeah, ever have I don't, a favorite I don't... band when you were growing up? A favorite band? Yeah, or favorite artist. Mm. Favorite artist? Well, I was always big on Sting. Sting was always good. Um, yeah, the police Sting. Um, I, again, like, I don't think I ever had a favorite. It's just, I like all different kinds of music. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I got, I finally got to go to Nashville, I guess it was, yeah, right before COVID. Oh my gosh. I, I, I mean, I never really listened to, to country or, you know, that, but holy cow, like that, that opened a whole nother world yeah. for me, you know? Um, but yeah. yeah, it's, there's, there's so much out there, mm -hmm. you know, and I try not to get like into one thing too much before I try something new. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was that's interesting about Nashville because we went there a few years ago. Like our family went, and I was like, eh, I don't, I don't like country music and what. Mm -hmm. But we went down. It's it's the town, the city is just amazing because there's just music everywhere, like every corner, every restaurant, every like it's and and the history there, you know, it's it's just well, and, and if you talk to the musicians that are in the band, they're like, the one guy is a fiddler. Oh can't think of this. Jared. Jared. Oh, I can't think of his last name. He, he's not, he, I don't think he's there anymore. He's doing a studio thing now. But um, his fiddler was incredible. And I was looking at his technique because of course I was like relearning my violin technique for my kids. And I was like, oh, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Okay. You know, and I could tell like he was classically trained, but he's playing all these crazy parts, you know, with, with this country tune. And I went over to him like, where did you learn how to do that? You know, like oh I, I went to Pittsburgh I was classically trained da, da, da. so yeah so that's part of you know what we brought to the music man camp is um Ryan Joseph who happens to be the fiddler for um Ryan um, Alan Jackson's band okay um so he comes to us every year 
and he teaches kids how to fill at oh, Music Man Camp. So he's coming back this year and like we're so excited because he's awesome. He's really good with the kids. Um, yeah, but I mean, you, you just never know, you know, right. what their history is or like, how did you get here, you know? And some of, some of them weren't classically trained. Some of them have just taught themselves, which is also amazing to me. <laughs> like, how did you figure that out? <laughs> you know, but yeah. Awesome. Well, Jen, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, this has been great. Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to take the time to join us. Oh, this is fun. And um, thanks again to everyone who is listening today. Um, if any of our listeners have questions or suggestions, you can always email us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. In addition, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So thank you, Jen. Thank you, Morgan. And we can do our Zoom wave. <laughs> And thank you very much.